Hello once again and welcome to Alpha Omega International. As you know, we've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount, and in the last couple of weeks we have sort of begun a mini-series called Matters of the Heart. Part one of this mini-series, Jesus talked about murder. In part two, he talked about adultery as well as marriage and divorce. And today, he's going to talk about swearing or taking oaths, making promises. Well, first, let's begin by taking a look at what Jesus says about this. This comes from Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 33 to 37. Here's what Jesus says. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So in today's topic, part three of this matters of the heart in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking about integrity of the heart, being truthful, honest, being faithful, saying what we mean and doing what we say. This was a problem that existed in the days of Jesus, and so it is today. It was a problem in his day, and as he speaks today, he speaks of a need of a, a better way. And as we take a look at what Jesus says, he's going to speak about swearing falsely. He's going to speak about speaking uh, foolishly. And last, he will talk about serving faithfully. And that will be our outline for today. So let's begin with number one, swearing falsely. Again, Jesus says in verse 33, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. There is a seriousness in what Jesus is talking about, and there's two things that Jesus is speaking about, and both are very serious. First of all, it's the seriousness of using the Lord's name, which people evidently so often did, and we still hear it today. People use the Lord's name, but then they swear falsely in using it. Have you ever heard somebody say, I swear to God, or as God is my witness? Maybe they're telling you a story, and as they're telling it, if, it's, if it seems unbelievable, they say, I swear to God, this is how it happened. This is what took place. Well, the Bible talks about using the Lord's name. In fact, it comes from the Ten Commandments, which is what Jesus is concentrating on for the most part of this Matters of the Heart series. Exodus 20, verse 7, here is what God's command is. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What does that mean? Well, it's when, for instance, somebody does swear by the Lord's name, and perhaps they have no intention on being truthful. Maybe they have no intention on fulfilling their commitments or fulfilling their vows, but they use his name, and they use it in such a way that it doesn't matter. It's, it's worthless to them. What a dangerous thing to do with the name of the Lord. 
And so God also says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, speaking directly to this, he says, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The Lord, he never speaks with empty words. It's not his nature to lie or to go back on his word. But when we use his name loosely, it gives others the impression that his name can be played around with. It can be used to our advantage. And in so doing, we show such disrespect to the name above every name. We need to be careful in how we speak the Lord's name and not use it carelessly in making vows or making promises in swearing. There's a seriousness in using the name of the Lord. And he also talks about the seriousness of making vows altogether, making promises or taking oaths. First of all, we can take an oath to the Lord, or we can make oaths or make promises to other people. But first, let's talk about swearing to the Lord, making a vow with the Lord. He says, perform to the Lord what you have sworn. If you have told the Lord, God, I'm going to do this, then do it. Now, sometimes we get into the situation where we're, we don't mean to try to strike up a deal with God. In fact, we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. We're not simply trying to say, okay, God, if, if I do this for you, then you do this for me. We don't start by doing that, but sometimes, sometimes we can get to a point where we are praying about something, asking God to do something in our life. And as we can picture in our minds, God answering that prayer and how wonderful it would be if he did and how glorious things would be. And then we can picture giving him thanks and giving him praises. We start to say things like, oh God, if you were to do this thing, then I would praise your name and tell the, the testimony of what you've done to all the people. In fact, I know two such people who made sort of this kind of vow. There was a woman and a man. The man was actually my oldest brother. The woman was praying for healing in her body. And she was quite worried about what was going on. And in her fear, in her worry, she prayed that God would just touch her, give doctors wisdom to know what to do and how to do it. And in her prayer, probably thinking about how wonderful it would be just to be healed, in that excitement, knowing what God is able to do, she said, God, if you, if you do this, then I will stand up in front of the whole church and proclaim what you have done for me. My brother was also praying for a woman who was in need of healing. And in praying for this woman, also probably in his mind, thinking what a, what a glorious moment it would be, what a, what a wonderful demonstration of God's power if he were to heal this woman. And if he does, oh God, if you would do that, then I'm going to not only tell about what you've done to my church, but I'm going to sing a hymn in glorifying you in front of all the people. And so as time went by, there was healing for both of these people, for the woman who was praying for her own healing and for the woman that my brother was praying for. And what do you suppose happened in the end? The woman who was healed, when it came time to give a testimony, she didn't want to do it. She was too afraid, too scared to speak in front of all the people. 
I knew about this. And I said, you know, I, I think you should tell people what God has done. Not because you need to fulfill that promise you made. No, but at least just tell the people what God has done. Give people hope and encouragement in their own lives. But she was too scared to do it. My brother, on the other hand, not only did he tell the church what God had done, but I can still remember him singing the hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. He had never done such a thing, but he did on that day to give all the glory to God. Now, I'm not faulting the one person and, and praising the other. I'm just saying there are times where we do tell the Lord, God, I want to do this for you. And if you tell God something like that, it's important to keep your word with God. When you say, God, I want to do it, then do it. And if you tell someone, if you tell another person that you're going to do something, then do it. I know sometimes we, we make commitments, we make vows, we, we make promises. And in the midst of fulfilling a promise, it gets difficult. Maybe it's more costly than we thought. It took more time than we anticipated. It, it's, it's beginning to have a, a deeper effect or a heavier burden is being placed on our life because we made that promise. And there's the temptation to sort of stop halfway and turn around and maybe break that promise when it's only halfway finished. Well, David talked about such a thing in Psalm 15. Listen to what he says in verse 1 and 2, and then a portion of verse 4. Psalm 15, David says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. And then David also says in verse 4, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Listen to that again. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, somebody has sworn, has made a promise. And while fulfilling that promise, it becomes hurtful to them, to their own selves. Too costly, causing pain, causing other pressures of life. But according to David, blessed is that man who makes the commitment. And even when things get difficult, times are rough in that promise, he does not change. He fulfills his commitment. Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? David says, well, it's that person who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That is a faithful person. Someone who says, I will do something, and he fulfills it by doing so. Now, I will say this. Making a promise to somebody, entering into any sort of agreement, it takes prayer and it takes wisdom. It takes time to make sure that you know what you're getting into. There may be times that you enter into an agreement, but things change. And then you wonder, well, what if things change in the agreement? It's not happening the way I thought. Can I get out of it? Or do I have to keep fulfilling my promise? In other words, I, there have been people in my life before, strangers who have come up to me. And in fact, one time I was working uh, at my workplace and, and a person came in from the street, he said he hadn't eaten anything. He, he had been hungry. He was homeless. And he asked me for money so he could get lunch. And so I reached into my pocket and found whatever I could and gave it to him. And I told him that if he ever needed anything else to just come and, and I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever I can to help him. I really felt bad for him. 
I watched him leave the office area. He walked across the street into a liquor store. And when he came out, he came out with a big box of cans of beer. And so I thought to myself, well, if he comes to me again, I told him I would give him money or provide for him, but not for that. I didn't agree to buying alcohol. I agreed to feeding him. There are times where you may go into an agreement with somebody and you give money, you give time, or you're helping somebody, but it turns out that their purposes have changed and they're not using your gift or your money the way that was agreed upon in the beginning. Now what? Are you still stuck in that situation and have to fulfill the entire promise? Well, I think then we need wisdom to make sure that that agreement stays true, that we are detailed in our description on what exactly we're going to do. I'm going to give this money for this sole purpose, nothing else. And as long as you keep to your side, I will provide the money. I will help you for this certain project but I don't have time to do other things, but I will do these certain things, these detailed things. Sometimes we have to be specific when we get into an agreement with someone, but I think that is certainly something we should all pray about and ask for God's wisdom. We all wanna help people, and the last thing we wanna do is back out of a promise that we have already made. Now the Jews were able to perfect this. The Jews in the days of Jesus had a way of working around these oaths and promises. In other words, how can we make an oath that sounds serious, it appears to be binding, but also we can make sure it comes with an escape clause. Number two, speaking foolishly. Jesus says, but I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. I imagine Jesus. I picture him walking in the streets of the villages that he went through, throughout Galilee and even in Jerusalem. I picture him going to the marketplaces, down the street, rubbing shoulders with society, and overhearing many people speaking. And I think that in his observation, he often heard people speaking foolishly. Just like when we were kids, maybe not you, not you, but certainly me and my friends. So many times when we would tell a story or we were told a friend that we would do something, they would say, you promise? Do you swear? And if that wasn't good enough, you had to double promise or double swear. You could also enter into what seemed to be a greater oath by making a pinky swear and attach your pinky to somebody else. Just in case you appear to be lying, we want to make sure you are obligated to do what you said you would do. I had one friend that told me one time, I, I swear on my mother's grave. Never heard anything like that. And his mom was still alive. And I was confused. Why would you talk about your mother's grave in such a way? The worst of all things... When we were kids, I would often hear, when someone said, I promise, they would say, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I thought, what are we talking about? How do we make a promise and we say, hope to die? And who sticks a needle in their eye? Where do these things come from? 
It's because as kids, we learn not to trust each other. Or as kids, we're already in the practice of lying. So to make sure your friend does what he says he's going to do, you've got to bring him into such strong language of promises. Well, according to Jesus, he says, do not swear at all. Why? Well, as I read what Jesus says about this, I find three reasons why we should not swear at all. First of all, because in the days of Jesus and also today, they swore as a way of deception. They didn't have truth in their hearts. They didn't have integrity in heart. They were trying to do something deceptively. And in their swearing, here's what they would do. They wouldn't use the name of the Lord because that was the highest authority you could appeal to. To use the name of God in your swearing, well then, you better do what you said that you would do. And so instead of using His name, use heaven. I swear by heaven, or the earth, or even the city of Jerusalem. But Jesus says, don't do that, because it's God's throne. It's God's footstool. It's God's city. And so people would say, well, I swear by heaven. And if they broke the promise, they could say, well, at least I didn't swear by the name of the Lord. I mean, that would have been worse. Jesus even talks about this again in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, Pharisees, you, you hypocrites, you fools. You say the foolish things like, I swear by the temple. Or, I swear by the gold that's in the temple. Now, they thought that if you swear by the temple, that's, that's a, an average sort of covenant. But to swear by the gold in the temple, well, then that is a binding agreement. Now you are really obligated. So if someone entered into a promise and said, okay, I swear by the temple that I will fulfill my vow, and then you broke it, then you would say, well, I didn't say the gold. Or he said the altar and the offering. Some of you swear by the altar as though that's a, an average sort of vow. But then you swear by the offering that's offered on the altar as though now you're really obligated. And so if someone says, well, I, I swear by the altar, I will perform my vow, and then you break it, then you could say, well, I didn't say the, the offering on the altar. It's like get, giving yourself an escape clause to get out of the promise that you made. Don't we do the same thing, at least when we were kids? Like when you make a promise and you're doing this behind your back, cross my fingers, I don't have to fulfill my promise, as foolish as that was when we were children, it's the same foolishness people speak when they make an oath in such ways. Jesus says, don't swear at all. Secondly, a reason why I see in all of this, it's almost like people use collateral. They use heaven as collateral. You know, if you go to the bank and you apply for a loan, the bank may not really know who you are. They may not have every reason to trust that you're just going to pay the money back. So they want collateral, something like a car or a home or land or some other property. So that if you don't pay back the money, they can take that property and use that as what's called collateral. Well, when we make promises, when we make vows, we can't just simply say, I swear by heaven, I swear by the earth, because you don't control heaven or the earth. It would be like me going to the bank today, requesting a sum of money, and they ask for collateral. 
What if I said to them, okay, well, I'm going to use your collateral. I'm going to use your vehicle for collateral for my loan. You would say, no, you're not going to do that. I have no right. I have no control over your property. I can't claim that from my own promise. In the same way, I can't claim heaven because I'm not in control of heaven. God is. I can't use the earth. I'm not in control of the earth. God is. And so I see as, as a problem here, God, Jesus even said, don't even swear by your head because you don't even have control over whether you have black hair or white hair. I know some of us dye our hair, but eventually it goes back to the color it started as. Some of us don't even, don't even have control over growing our hair. So when you don't have control over the collateral, you can't claim that in your vow or in your promise. The Jews in Jesus' day were claiming heaven like it was collateral in their vow. Jesus says, don't do that because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the creator of heaven and earth. Thirdly, and this deals with our swearing to God, making a vow to God. Again, Jesus says, don't swear at all. Don't go into this deal-making with God. Don't come to God and say, from your heart, God, if, if you do this thing for me, then I will do this for you. Jesus says, don't do that. And I believe that we shouldn't look at God at all as though he is some sort of deal-making God. We shouldn't look at God and, and think to ourselves, well, I don't think God is willing to help me, but maybe I can make a deal with him. Maybe if I give certain money to the church or I help this other person out, then maybe he'll be willing to help me. Why would we say things like that? If we do, then we don't know God. Should the children of God think of our Father in such a way? Absolutely not. With God, there is mercy and there is grace for the children of God. We didn't pay God for the greatest gift He has ever given, and that is Jesus Christ. We didn't pay Him money. We didn't strike up a deal to receive the free gift of eternal life, which is the greatest thing we could ever have. So why would we think that we need to strike up a deal with God to receive lesser blessings in life? We should not think of God as a deal-making God. Never. He is our Father who loves us with an everlasting love. So let's not speak foolishly. So number one, we've learned about swearing falsely. Number two, we learned about speaking foolishly. And last, number three, Jesus will teach us about serving faithfully. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. Jesus says, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than this is from the evil one. It's like Jesus is saying, instead of making all these promises, using the name of God, using heaven, taking an oath, saying such foolish things in your promises. Instead of trying to convince somebody that you're going to do what you said you would do, how about this? How about you just either say yes or no and be honest about it? If you tell somebody you're going to do something, do it. If you're not able to, then say no, you can't. If you're asked a question and you say yes or no, let the person who asked you that question trust in what you say. Give people no reason to doubt you and to make you say, wait a minute, 
You promise, right? <laughs> Don't let them ask you such things. In real life situations, I can remember times in my life where I committed to things. I said yes to things and I regretted it. Like at work, I had a job and in my workplace, there were people who needed help. Not just customers, but fellow associates that I had. And I never wanted to say no to anybody. That was truly what was in my mind and in my heart. I, I wanted to help. If I thought I was able to, I just wanted to help. I never liked saying no to anything or anybody. The problem was I said yes too many times and to too many people. And then it becomes a, uh, an overwhelming burden. I don't have time to even do my own work, to take care of my own customers because I'm caught up with saying yes to everything else people ask me to do. And I sat down with my manager one day and it was after somebody complained that I didn't do what I said I would do. And I talked to her about it and I, I admitted that I, I tried to help and I, I don't like saying no, it's tough for me to do that, but unfortunately it does mean that every once in a while I'm unable to fulfill my commitment. And she said to me, Heath, you know, it would be better for you to just simply say, no, I can't. I, I'm not going to have time. Maybe a, another day, another time. Maybe we can schedule a different, uh, a different time for helping. But right now, on this day, I'm sorry, I can't do it. It would be better to say no than to say yes and then not fulfill that yes. It was difficult for me to learn, but I did had to learn. I, I had to learn to balance my own life and to make sure that when I say yes, I know for sure I'm able to perform that task. Otherwise, I have to say no. When my daughter went to college, Rachel, a couple of years ago, she got excited about being in her new school, a new program, and meeting a lot of kids in Singapore. And then she found out that at the school, there were many clubs and societies. There was the psychology society she wanted to join. There was the orientation committee. Uh, and there was a, a, another committee as well that she wanted to, to join or, or a club. And so she was telling me about all these things. And I just said, Rachel, just make sure if you say yes to joining this group and, and that club and this organization, make sure you're able to fulfill what they require of you. Make sure you can actually do your responsibilities. Because remember, you're not going to school to be in a club or to be a part of a committee or a society as great as those things are. You're there for an education and you can't do anything that gets in the way of your own study, your own schoolwork and, and your progress through all your classes. I had to tell her that because I myself have been through that as well. I wanna do whatever I can. I wanna help everybody, but sometimes we are just limited and we have to understand our limitations. As a father, if my kids were to ask me uh, when they were little, especially, Dad, can we go to the park? Dad, can we go to this restaurant tonight? Dad, can we go get ice cream? If I say yes, you can be sure they're going to hold me to that yes. And they won't stop until I actually take them out. There were times that I could remember when I said yes to ice cream or yes to going to the park. And then I got busy and had to break my promise. That's not something a father should be teaching his children. And I needed to learn from that, to keep my word and to say no more often to my own kids. It only takes one failure, whether you're talking about work 
or in your family or in your circle of friends, whatever it is, it only takes one failure to commit to what you said you would do until people begin to question your honesty and integrity. It only takes one failure in your commitment until people begin to have a negative perception about you. And then once they do, it is a difficult thing to change. It's difficult if somebody loses their trust in you, they feel that you've become, a, 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 you're not dependable, you are unfaithful. It takes a lot of time to change that so that they can look at you as a trustworthy person. So be careful with your yes and with your no's in life. It's when we prove ourselves unfaithful that people will end up asking you, do you promise? Do you swear? If they have to ask that, then something's wrong, perhaps coming from our hearts. Maybe we have become dishonest. May we desire the heart of Christ, a heart that is full of integrity and truth, never speaking out of foolishness or giving untrustworthy promises. When you say yes or no, may people believe in what you say because you've proven yourself faithful. And let us all seek to be more like God. Do you remember what the Bible says about God and his word and the promises he has made to us through Jesus Christ? It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for all the promises of God in him, that is Christ, are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. In other words, when God says, I will do this thing, he will do it. He is faithful to every promise, every word. God says, when I, when I speak, my words don't go out in vain. They don't come back to me void and empty. When God speaks, he does, and he accomplishes his will. God is truthful and faithful. And we who are the children of God, should seek to be truthful as he is, faithful as he is, have integrity in our hearts, pure hearts, honest hearts. And when it comes to our relationship with God, let's not turn it into a, a cold, impersonal, deal-making relationship. It should never be like that. God is our Father who loves us and is faithful. He's full of compassion and mercy. And he always knows what's best for you. And he knows how to accomplish his purpose in you. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in Christ and in sincerity of heart. Until next time, may God be with you.